Um, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? <laughs> Merry Christmas. Good evening. So glad you're here. Welcome, welcome. Yes, wanna, yes. Hey, you know what? Welcome our online uh, viewers that are joining us as well. Oh. <laughs> oh, my. All right. Well, listen, I, I want you to know that I'm not going to go long tonight. Oh, come on. Really? I am cognizant of the many that have their keiki tonight with you. And so uh, we do have the mommy and me room, except I think it's already full. Uh, we have another room upstairs, a larger room. If you want, you can go there. We do have the uh, service there on the screen. If not, um, I'll do my best. And uh, oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> Would you join me in Luke's Gospel, the second chapter? I want to begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read through to verse 20. You can follow along as I read. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So verse 3, all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, 
that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Let's pray, if you would please join with me. Father in heaven, we're just with unspeakable joy, without words to adequately express just how grateful we are to celebrate the birth of the Savior. Lord, thank you. Seems so inadequate to say thank you. But until we're with you, that's all we can say. However, <laughs> we know that for all eternity, we're not just going to thank you. We're going to praise you, and we're going to worship you, and we're going to be with you forever and ever. Glory, hallelujah. In Jesus' name, Amen. So I chose to title this year's Christmas Eve sermon, God Will Solve Your Problems. And this for several reasons, chief of which is that God solved our sin problem with the birth of the Savior. And would you not agree that that was and is our biggest problem? The problem of sin? And Jesus was born as the Savior of the world to pay in full for all our sins. And it's for this reason that during this season we celebrate with great joy how that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, John 3.16, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, this well-known verse, arguably the most well-known verse in all of the Bible, carries with it a powerful and profound promise that many of us are prone to overlook. And I'll explain that. I'll frame the explanation of that in a question. Consider this, please. If God loves us so much that He was willing to give us His only begotten Son, then wouldn't it stand to reason that there would be nothing that God wouldn't give us? 
What if I told you that this question was actually asked and answered by none other than the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Rome. It's in Romans 8.32. Let me read it and listen very carefully to it. He asks rhetorically and in so doing answers the question by the Holy Spirit. Here's the question. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Did you catch that? Um, in other words, if God will graciously give us all things, then wouldn't it make sense that He will also solve all our problems? That's what Paul is asking and answering. In other words, if God was willing to give us His only begotten Son because of His love for us, is there anything that He would be unwilling to give to us? If He'll give us His only begotten Son, He loves us so much. Doesn't that make sense? So if He's willing to do that, is there anything He would be unwilling to do? Answer, no. Now, I realize there are those who would protest under the banner of their problems seemingly remaining unsolved presently. But here's the truth. God is able and God is willing to solve all of your problems if you would but let Him. The problem is that we don't let Him. He's at the ready. I, he, he says to you, to me, I've given you my only begotten Son because of my love for you. I'll give you anything, anything that you ask, if it's according to my will and for my glory, consider it done. I will give you whatever you need. I will solve whatever problem you have. Well, pastor, with all due respect, I've got some pretty serious problems. I have financial problems. I have marriage problems. I have family problems. I have problem problems. <laughs> I just have problems. Well, God has solved your biggest problem, the sin problem. Why would He be unwilling to solve all of your other problems? Here's the thing though. When He does, if we'll let Him, it may not be the way we want, how we want, and perhaps more importantly, when we want. Because you know how we are, right? We want what we want, when we want it, which is right now. And God's like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> uh, I'll do it my way, in my time, in my terms, for my glory. And He's true to His Word, and He has given to us His Word. This is John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God, and 
the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, unto you a Savior is born, Emmanuel, God with us. Wow, I just got chicken skin, goosebumps for those of you on the mainland. So let me see if I got this straight. You're telling me that God became one of us. Yes. Well, I'm not telling you that. God's Word tells you that. You're telling me that God became a man to save man. Yes. Um, what was man's greatest need? For a savior, not a lawyer. If you're a lawyer, we love you. God bless you. But that was not our need. We did not need a lawyer or an educator. We needed a savior. And that's why he gave us a savior. If you'll kindly allow me to, for the remainder of our time, I want to present several problems that the Savior's birth solves. And I hope you'll be encouraged tonight, especially those of you that are really going through some difficult trials in your life. I've organized what follows into three categories, the first of which is the problem, second, the solution, and third, the application, the personal application to our lives. Problem. The Savior's birth could not be in Nazareth. Rather, Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem, according to the prophecies. But the problem is, is that they're in Nazareth. So what's God going to do to solve this problem? Well, He's going to have Caesar Augustus issue a decree at the time that Jesus would be born, so that Joseph would return to Bethlehem to be registered. Perfect. Problem solved. And by the way, the timing of that, we'll talk more about the timing in a moment. If it had been one month early or one month later, Jesus could not be the Savior. No, God perfectly planned and timed and directed Joseph at the perfect time. Here's the application. God will always direct our paths or if need be, redirect our paths. But again, He'll do it His way, on His terms, in His time, according to His will, and ultimately for His glory. And He does, and He did, and He will. Problem. The Savior's birth could not bring good tidings of great joy to only some people. Rather, it had to be for all people. Solution? <laughs> I love this one. God has the birth announcement of the Savior of the world. First go to lowly shepherds, the least and the last. Because if it's for those people, then it's for all people. 
Think about it. If, if the announcement, the birth announcement, you know how we are about birth announcements? Man, we go to great, just the gender reveal. Of course, nowadays, I don't know what happens now, but I don't want to go there. <laughs> they have big parties, blue for boy, pink for girl. Well, at least they used to. Anyway, so here's, here's a birth announcement. It's no ordinary birth announcement. This is the birth announcement of birth announcements of the Savior of the world. And it, shepherds? Are you kidding me right now? Yeah. But they, shepherds, you have to understand, in that culture, in that day, were considered the lowliest, the filthiest of all people. And of all people, that's who the birth announcement of the Savior of the world is going to go to. Yes, because this is good tidings of great joy to all people. Because if, if the Savior's birth announcement had gone to the elite, you know, those people, well then I guess it's not for us. It's for them. No. God's love for all of us is unfailing and unconditional. And please hear me on this, because this is very important. The enemy has a heyday with us on this. God's love for us is never predicated upon who we are or what we do. That's a perfect love, an unfailing love. Problem. The Savior's birth was at night, in the dark, rather than during the day, in the light, when people would have certainly noticed. Solution? <laughs> God has the Savior come into the world to be the light of the world, which was and is in desperate spiritual darkness and I think you would agree with me as well on this. It's getting darker seemingly by the day. But He's the light of the world. Here's the application. It's in the dark silence of the night, not the bright busyness of the day, that the light of the world shines the brightest. Doubtless you've heard it said, it's so well said, You'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And is it not true that it's when you're going through a very dark, difficult season in your life, that Jesus is more real to you, closer to you? Problem. And this is a problem. The Savior's birth was in poverty, squalor, and even filth, rather than being in pomp, prestige, prosperity, and plenty. Solution? God has very wealthy wise men bring very expensive gifts when Jesus is a toddler in order to provide for Joseph and Mary. Now I am keenly aware that I have just messed up your whole nativity scene. But I have to tell you that according to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, the wise men were not there at the birth. 
uh, they came later. The detail in the text says that they came to see the little child, not the infant. It's a different word in the original. Uh, it's like a toddler. Uh, it's believed that Jesus at this time that the wise men came with these gifts was maybe a year old, no more than, maybe seven, eight months old. We can only speculate and estimate. But the why question needs to be asked. Okay, so we know the what they brought, and we know the gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And regrettably, we've painted this picture of only three wise men. Do you realize that it was probably an entourage? And, and don't, please don't picture, you know, here's a little gold bracelet for the baby. Okay. No. No. And frankincense and myrrh. Now you understand the prophetic symbolism of these gifts. They were exactly what they needed financially, medicinally. And the gold, oh, what? God's going to send His only begotten Son, God incarnate, God becoming a man, and leave Him on His own? Well, there you go, I did my part. You know, wish you the best. Uh, you're going to have to, by the way, get to Egypt. I don't know how you're going to pay for that. Uh, you're going to have to flee Herod, who's going to try to kill you, and all the boys under two years of age. And so, um, I don't know, maybe you can get a loan or something. You'll forgive the silliness, but I think you get the point, right? No. Here's the application. God will always provide whatever you need at the perfect time that you need it. He's never late. He's never early. One last thing on this, and we'll move on. That gold, th this was an entourage. They brought, I believe, solid gold worth an extreme amount of money. And God provided for Joseph and Mary. Maybe you're here tonight or watching online and you have financial needs, you have financial problems. God has promised to solve that problem. God will provide whatever you have need of. Again, He won't do it the way you think. He won't do it how you think, and He certainly won't do it when you think. He will do it in His way, in His time, for His glory. Problem. The Savior's birth was to a young couple, Joseph and Mary, who were all alone, far from home, with no place to stay. That's a problem. Solution? God would bring to them and through them the good news of comfort and joy at the time of their greatest need. Application. God will always comfort us in those times when we're all alone, especially in this world, not our home, where we've long overstayed our welcome, as it were. There's no room for us here. This is not our home. We're just passing through. Keep a light touch on this world and the things of this world. I don't think it's any coincidence that we have the details. And again, imagine, don't imagine a hotel. There was no room in the hotel. They were all booked because everybody was in town to get registered. No, this was like a, a room, a stable 
And, and we've tidied up the manger. You know what a manger is, right? It's a feeding trough. Animals would eat out of it, and that's where they laid the Savior of the world. It's interesting because it's believed, and we saw those, for those of you that went to Israel with us, we saw those stone mangers. It's a, it's a stone, you know, feeding trough uh, carved out of stone. And here's the Savior of the world when He was born. And interesting, like bookends, the Savior of the world when He was crucified and buried was put in a stone tomb. How's that one? Well, that's actually our next one and last one. Problem. The Savior's birth would end in death such that Jesus was born to die. That's a problem. Solution? Well, God would solve the death problem. Because see, with the sin problem came the death problem. When sin entered the world, death with it entered the world. So God solved the sin problem, but He also solved the death problem. He solved the sin problem with the birth of the Savior. He solved the death problem with the resurrection of the Savior. By raising Jesus from the dead, problem solved. And would you agree that death is a kind of a big problem? I do, because we're all going to die. Okay, I'll try to. Problem solved. How was the problem solved? God raised Jesus from the dead, defeated death, solved the death problem. And in so doing, He purchased in full, paid in full, the price and offers us the gift that He paid for, of eternal life. Wow. God has provided a way of salvation through Jesus, born as a child, so that we can be born again, becoming like a child. Now stay with me. We're almost done. I appreciate your patience. Mark 10, 15, Jesus speaking, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And then John 3, 3, perhaps familiar to most, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Are you following me here? The Savior of the world had to be born so that we could be born again. Because see, we were all born sinners, which is why we must be born again. Well, I want to bring it to an end with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the childlike, simple explanation of salvation vis-a-vis -vis the ABCs of salvation. Let's start with the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, the word gospel actually carries with it the meaning of good news. 
your debt has been paid, you're free to go. Good news. That's what the word gospel means. Well, what do you mean? What, what debt? Oh, the, the sin debt, the death penalty. Wait, what? Yeah, see, you were sentenced to death and someone came and went to their death in your stead, in your place. Good news, you're, you're free to go. Because see, Jesus came and He died for you. He was crucified, He was buried, and He rose again on the third day. And He's coming back for us soon and very soon one day. That's the good news. That is good news, isn't it? Hey, that's the ultimate solving of all of my problems. I have no problems that the rapture will not solve because it doesn't matter after that. I mean, no, no more problems. Health problems? Nope. Got a new body. That alone. That alone. <laughs> Good news. <laughs> now, <laughs> why, why is the gospel inclusive of the rapture? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. You asked, right? The first time the Apostle Paul explains what the gospel is, in, is in the first letter he ever wrote to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. It's the first time Paul ever lays out the gospel. Well, 1 Corinthians 15, the first four verses, that came many years later. But the first time he mentions the gospel is to the Thessalonians, and it's in the context of the rapture. He says, this, this is the gospel that I preach to you. Jesus was crucified, buried, rose again on the third day, and He's coming back again one day. That's the gospel. Don't stop at the resurrection. You're selling me short if you do. That's not as Paul Harvey. I know that dates me and many of you too, so don't look at me like, you know. The rest of the story, his story, history, he's coming back for us. That's the good news. That's the gospel. What are the ABCs? You know, the ABCs are just a simple, childlike, not childish, childlike explanation of salvation. I suppose you could say, this is how to be saved. This is how to be born again. And I want to bring into the ABCs tonight, the thief on the cross, as he's affectionately referred to. You know that when Jesus was crucified, there were two criminals that were crucified on his right and on his left. Doesn't mean they were the only ones crucified that day, but these were the ones that were right next to Jesus. And you know what happened? One of them accepted, one rejected, one blasphemed, actually, the text says. So when you look at the thief on the cross, you'll find that all three of these, I don't know that he knew about the ABCs. Maybe he did. I don't know if they go back that far. But the first thing he did was A, admit that he was a sinner. He deserved to be on that cross. This, this man does not. He's innocent. And he admitted and acknowledged his sin, and with it, his need for the Savior. Because if you think about it, why would you need a Savior if you're not a sinner? 
It has to start there. And He did. He came to that realization. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. Oh, but they're a good person. They might be a good person, but they'll never be good enough. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. For all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, that's what the word sin actually means. It's missing the mark. It's an archery term. It's falling short of the bullseye. So if you're an archer and you shoot that arrow and you miss the mark, you miss the bullseye, you've sinned. You sinner. That's what the word sin means. So if we have any archers here tonight, we love you too. Romans 6.23, I love this verse because it just packages the bad news first with the good news. What's the bad news? Oh, uh, the wages of sin is death, the death penalty. You've all been sentenced to death. But here's the good news. <laughs> the good news is the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the A. Here's the B. And this is so central. Believe. Believe in your heart. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe. Put your trust in Him. Believe in Him. The thief on the cross believed. That was the Savior. He acknowledged his sin, and he acknowledged that that's the Savior. What are the odds that I would be crucified on the same day as the Savior of the world? I can't wait to ask Him about that in heaven. No, I won't. We're all going to be just in awe. We'll see Him in heaven, you know. He acknowledged the Savior, and He believed in His heart that Jesus Christ was Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will, there's that word again, will, be saved. Aren't you so glad it says will and not, you might. We'll see. You could. Good chance. No, you will. The jury is not out. The verdict is in. The price is paid. It is finished. Okay. Thank you very much for that. The C, lastly, is for call upon the name of the Lord, or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's why, verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And lastly, Romans 10, 13, and this is what the thief did. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So watch this. The, the thief, criminal, whatever his crime was, he says to Jesus, he calls upon Jesus, and he says, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? That's it. He was saved. How, what do you mean? Oh, you know what Jesus' response was to him, right? 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. Wait a minute. That's way too simple. I know. Even a child. I know. But aren't you glad it wasn't complicated? I came to Christ 41 years ago next month, by the way. I look pretty good for 41, right? And I'm so glad that it was this simple, because if it was complicated, I wouldn't be saved. If I had to do something, there was nothing I could do. All I could do was believe in Him, acknowledge Him, and call upon Him. I'm not proud of this, but I did so very intoxicated, very high. I fell asleep praying. And you know what my prayer was? This is why I'm not a big fan of, you know, the sinner's prayer, because it's not, it's, you don't have to repeat a prayer to be saved. But my, you know what my prayer was? Again, I'm not proud of this, and I'll end with this. And I slurred it. <laughs> I slurred my prayer. I want to hell. Jesus. That's all I had to say. And I was saved. I woke up the next morning. Yeah, praise the Lord, right? If you would have said to me, you have to do like 10 things, I said, okay, well, I'm going to hell then, because I don't mean to make light of it, but no, it's so simple. It's so simple. And so I would implore you in closing, if you've never called upon the Lord today, tonight is the day of salvation. Please, I I implore you, I, I plead with you, I beg of you, do not delay the most important decision of your life for eternal life, especially with everything that's happening in the world today. I I assure you, Jesus is coming sooner than any of us could ever possibly imagine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ah, I thank you, Lord, so much. I, again, it just seems so insufficient, inadequate to thank you. But Lord, We do thank you. We do love you more than words could ever express. Jesus, thank you for coming and taking our place on that cross and dying for us and shedding your blood for the forgiveness, the remission of all of our sins. Lord, this is that one time of the year when virtually the whole world is reminded of your name, Jesus, the only name given among men, whereby we must be saved, the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We long for your return, Jesus, when that trumpet sounds. So Jesus, come quickly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. God bless.